Welcome to the world of culture pop with Steve Mason and Sue Kalinsky. Culture, comedy, movies, TV, tech, authors, trends, pop, pop. This is the Culture Pop Podcast. In this episode of the Culture Pop Podcast, Sue and I are joined by actor Martin Cove, who starred as Sensei John Kreese in the Karate Kid trilogy and has returned for season three of the Netflix series Cobra Kai. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast and leave us a rating and a review. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason. That's Sue Kalinsky. Sue, how you feeling? I'm feeling very good, Steve. So I am a huge Cobra Kai fan. I love this show. In fact, it came out on New Year's Eve, and that's what I was doing when it turned mid. Well, actually, I watched Anderson Cooper and Andy Cohen, and Andy lost it. But then right after that, I watched Cobra Kai and started. I love this show. Well, I'm a new recruit because it kind of eluded me when I was younger. I never watched any of the Karate Kid movies. So, you know, word of mouth, you were telling me how great it is. Everybody else is telling me how great it is. And it is that great. Yeah, it is so much fun. And I'm really excited today. Uh, Joining us is Martin Cove, who plays Sensei John Kreese. Strike first, strike hard, no mercy. He is one of the stars of Cobra Kai. Martin, thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure. I am ex- exactly the right age to have grown up on Karate Kid. Like that, those were my Ralph Macchio, you as John Kreese, all that stuff. Can you believe this has come all the way back around? Well, I think, you know, the, those movies were kind of one dimensional characters and they're, you know, they were interesting and they were very well written, came and did a great job. And the stars of those movies with, were the, the composer of the script was, you know, Robert Kamen. Because we only remember movies like, you know, The Force Be With You or Play It Against Sam or, you know, um, frankly, Scarlet, I Don't Give a Damn, you know, from Gone with the Wind. And why do you remember them? Because the movies were great. Yep. The lines were terrific, but they constituted great movies. And wax on, wax, wax off and sweep the leg. The no mercy, you know, mercy is for the weak, you know, (laughs) all that stuff you remember because it was part of a great process, you know, and we all had a romance that didn't work in the eighties. We all were fish out of water of some sorts, or we all were bullied. And one of those worked for everybody, you know, and now it comes around with greater vulnerability, more texture to each character and highly identifiable situation for the 12-year-old and the 40-year-old. So what, what was your reaction when you found out that they were going to do a series all these years later? Well, you know, we all went in there hoping to be convinced. And Billy and Ralph were convinced first. And then I sat with them, and Dan Tanner is over in L.A. And, um, you know, I said, I'm interested. But I really want more texture to the character. I don't want him to be as one-dimensional as he was. John Kreese in the, in the picture, first two, three movies. And, you know, there was no Terry Silver in three. I couldn't do the series. I mean, I couldn't do the movie because I got a series. So they rewrote and created a character called Terry Silver, who was to do everything that I was to do hmm. in, in uh, Karate Kid 3. It was all my sting operation. It was all my vehicle. So the bottom line is, you know, the writing all the way through now is so rich 
They convinced us they write multidimensional. I was concerned with some some vulnerability to my character. And each season, I've gotten more. What happens in season five, which is in the can, is a big secret. But the bottom line is, it's all written well. It's all written. Season two, three, and four are the biggest seasons of any show in the world yep. on Netflix. I was just I was just saying to Sue, new, that was my New Year's Eve. <laughs> my New Year's Eve, because the show came out right then. I'm like, I am diving right into uh, to season four. Had you... Had you trained in martial arts? Have you trained in martial arts? Yeah, right before, I would say several months before, we were going to do a movie called The Lion of Ireland, which was a book originally written by Morgan Llewellyn. And it was all about Brian Baru, the first king of Ireland, unifying his the Viking tribes against the uh, Irish tribes against the Viking attacks on the coast. And we learned, you know, great work with the, mostly Kendo, with four or five foot plywood axes and bastardizing the the kendo a little, make it look more like Conan, you know? And it was very exciting. And we were learning great moves, all with the foundation of karate. And then the tax laws changed in England. Maggie Thatcher changed the law. So the movie was canceled. And then a month later, I was brought in to, you know, meet on, on Karate Kid and, Prerequisite was not martial arts. They brought in Toshiro Mufumi. They brought in Pat Morita once before, and he was rejected. You know, Jerry didn't like it. And John shot a movie around him and did funny things and represented it to Jerry Weintraub. And Jerry said, that's the guy. So none of us really had, per se, martial arts background. But I had done a lot of fighting, you know, and I had an introduction to karate through kendo and creating a foundation for myself. But we all trained, thank God, to a guy named Pat Johnson, who ran with Chuck Norris in the 60s and 70s mm-hmm. in the tournament scene. And Pat was the referee at the end, who was with a red shirt and a black yes. mustache. Yes. So he, he trained us all separately. Trained Ralph and Miyagi separately. Trained the Cobra Kai separately. Train Marty Cove separately to create this mystique. And we travel two, three hours a day. And um, we got, you know, we got great training. And it was very exciting because we all knew what we wanted. We all respected each other. I wasn't real friendly with Cobra Kai. I kept my distance, you know, <laughs> they kept their distance. So it was, it was really one of those things where the chemicals, the chemistry, the need, the unknown all worked. Because Karate Kid, the title, we didn't like that. Sound like a Bruce Lee movie. Right, right, right. So when you're doing so much fighting and you do have some skills and you say that you were all trained, um, were there any incidents where people got hurt? Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> the top of Karate Kid 2, where I go in the window and fight with, with Pat Reed and I do a punch and a lunge. That was all written to be the end of Karate Kid 1. So while we're outside, you know, ready to go, Jerry Weintraub and John Allison have a meeting and they decide to end the movie in the tournament. So two years later, three years later, we're on the same parking lot, same location. 
and we're doing a scene. Well, I punch over his shoulder, go through the window, blood comes out, all this. And the special effects guy never blew the window. So I would go over his shoulder, hit the glass, and it was supposed to shatter like an inch before my hand, like, like so. It never did. I would always hit the window. And he guaranteed it would shatter. Guaranteed it would shatter. <laughs> so I stopped lunging. I just punched. And boom. He promised me it would. It didn't shatter. The first take, I go right through the real glass in the real van. Shards of glass sticking it through my wrist and everything. I pull it out. It's a disaster. So they take me up. We go again. And still, the guy doesn't blow, the, doesn't shatter. So I turned to John Avelson. I said, Ar-. I said, John, I said, this is not the hand of Arnold in the Terminator. This is Marty Cove's <laughs> hand, you know? And he says, okay, that's a wrap. So going into that window is real Marty Cove, real blood passing through the glass. Coming out, we shot the next day, and I had new skin on, and the rest was it. The rest was history. But yes. I got hurt. I think Billy got hurt in the fight a little bit. Ralph, you know, cracked the rib in the final scene. But, you know, somehow it's like sliding into second base, getting a a raspberry, you know, sliding into third base or playing soccer goalie like I did and diving into the feet of Puerto Ricans just to get the ball. You know, it's part of the whole game. Yeah. So we've been doing something on, I, I do a show on ESPN every day. And we've been doing, well, we had this sort of bit where we would describe somebody as either Miyagi-Do, Cobra Kai, or Eagle Fang. Uh, because they're all, they all have their own sort of personality, right? So mm-hmm. I've, I've identified as Eagle Fang. I work with a guy who identifies as Miyagi-Do. So in life, are you Cobra Kai, Eagle Fang, or Miyagi-Do in terms of your attitude? There's only one thing I believe that I have a problem with as Marty Cove versus John Kreese is something that came up. Would I want, and I often talk to people about this, when you get a trophy for soccer or for baseball, and I have two kids, and when they got their participation trophies, I, I, I didn't know if the partition, participation trophies are right because, you know, it should go to the best, like John Kreese believes. Only the best should get the award. And there shouldn't be any partition, participational trophies for second, third, and fourth place. I have a little bit of problem with that, but I totally understand it. And I say to myself, the guy who comes in second place, third place, and fourth place, and this is all a Cobra Kai attitude. Yeah. They probably are good at music probably a good at computers, probably a good in something else other than playing second base. You know, the guy who played second base and made all those double plays, he gets the first, he gets the all around athlete award for the team. You know, is it appropriate to give it to a kid who tried so hard to be that second place, second baseman, but never could cut it? Honestly, I don't know because you want to give kids an incentive to forge ahead but they know that when they're not really as good as they would like to be, yeah, yeah. not as good as Freddie over there who has a wicked arm who could scoop the ball up from first base, you know? So I take more of shading to John Kreese in this 
But Marty Cove is sensitive to kids who try a lot. Who just My son could never be as good as my daughter. Hmm. In the Little League in Encino, they would say, well, everybody thinks that because they've got to take you and your sister, your, your brother and your sister, they think that the gift is you and the daughter is just hanging around because they didn't want to have to have the parents schlepping to two different games, hmm. right? Yeah. So they put both kids on one team. And the coach would always say to me, he says, they don't know that your daughter is like the best in the league. <laughs> and, and they think they're getting a handicap by having to take a girl because they want the boy on the team. You know, so it's always full of surprises, man. Well, you know, being a, uh, a girl <laughs> who, you know, grew up a tomboy, I always loved when guys would think that I wasn't good at something. And I, I grew up shooting pool at a very young age. We had a table. We had a table in our house. And my first year of college, it was upstate New York in New Paltz, towny bar, very rowdy. And I'm on the table, you know, put my quarter down, play the winner. And I like wipe the floor with this guy. And he got so angry. I turned my back and someone said, look out. And he went to take a pool stick to try to hit me with it because he, he was so insulted. You know, he was, you know, kind of a simpleton kind of guy who a girl beat me. I mean, he was mortified. And I just walked out of there feeling like I was on top of the world, that it got to him so much that a girl beat him. Well, so. it, it, the, the female warriorism is what turns Marty Coban as well as John Kreese. When I have the scenes with Amanda, yep. and she comes in my dojo, and bam, and she slaps me. You know, I said to the writers, we did that scene, I said, can I smile? Because I really love the fact that this woman is macho enough to nail me because her husband is a Miyagi-Do flake. And of course they said no, because it would look like John Kreese would enjoy it too much. But in theory, when I have another scene with her in the, in the, home, in the Whole Foods store, She's got such guts that I have always been attracted to the female, that macho character, the girl who you play tennis with that winds up like, like a pro, like, the, like, you know, the Venus twins. I mean, boom, they serve that ball so hard. And it's, a, it's just a great turn on to see, I call it fe female warriorism. But that quality of, of the, the male athlete in the woman who's delicate and feminine and all, it's just such a, a wonderful treat to watch that kind of athleticism. It's great. So you're, you were born in Brooklyn. That means you could be a Yankees fan, a Mets fan, or a Dodgers fan because uh, of the old Brooklyn Dodgers. Which is it? Oh, I was a Dodger fan. I, you know, in 1958, when they left, I, I told this on Johnny Carson back in 1985. My friend Tommy Chiodo and I broke into Ebbets Field November 1958 and we ran around the field, and we did it because we resented the Dodgers leaving. And we ran around the field, and we ended up, you know, playing. It was a rainy day, and all of a sudden, I was in the dugout, and I pulled this thing, and I was all of 11. Hmm. And I pulled, pulled the handle, and what it was was the security deal. <laughs> all the way from in the, in the, to the on right field, this big garage door opens up, and there's a security guy with a Doberman pincher. And I'm saying, I look at Tommy, he looks at me, we both started to cry, and we ran for left field, threw that bar off, 
and ran out onto Bedford Avenue. I told this story on Johnny Carson. I hadn't seen this kid, Tommy Chioto, in, so this is 85. I hadn't seen him since 1958. He writes me a letter. He says, Marty, I heard you mention me on Johnny Carson yesterday. I'm a stockbroker in Rochester. Will you please give me a call and say hello? Uh, <laughs> it made my day. It oh, that is so cool. Oh, that is the coolest thing in the world. And I was. I was a Dodger fan. I mean, Duke Snyder was my hero. And I used to just, you know, had a scrapbook. And I, lo- I Boys of Summer is one of my favorite movies, you know. And I, I, I became a Dodger fan when I got here. But, you know, it wasn't as strong as Brooklyn. Brooklyn, you know, Brooklyn's got its own enclave of, of class and sewer at the same time, you know? Hmm. Yeah. Yes, I was actually born in Brooklyn myself. So I, uh, only, I, only lived, um, I lived in Flatbush and I, I moved when I was three. We moved to Long Island, but I have an older brother who's 11 years older than me. And he, uh, he was a, actually a, um, he was a Giants fan. So Willie Mays is the reason why I love baseball so much. Well, that's great. That's wonderful. What is it about baseball for you? Like for me, and I, you know, I'm all wrapped up in the NFL playoffs. I'm a Rams fan. It was an unbelievable weekend for football. I'm glad we're moving on and and going to play in the NFC championship game. But what is it about baseball? Because I I love baseball above all sports. What about you? Well, that. There's a, I played in a, a league called the Broadway Show League, which played in Central Park. And I, I used to love to throw the ball. I would just, I love much better than hitting. I would love to peg that ball in from the outfield. It was like an orgasm. It was just like, <laughs> wham! And I could really throw. I was, you know, I was, um, I tried out for a couple of teams, but I stepped in the bucket a lot as a batter and in a hardball. But in softball, I was really good. But the bottom line was there's a connection historically to Joe DiMaggio, to the, the early Dodgers, to Jackie Robinson. There's a heritage that is different than football. And believe me, I didn't play, I didn't have a, I wasn't a Giants fan or a Jets fan. I got here and the doctor for the Raiders was my orthopedic doctor, Dr. Rosenfeld, and he introduced me to Matusak and Stabler and everybody. Wow. And I hung with those guys. And I was a Raider fan for the longest time. But compared to baseball, there is still that game that we all grew up with, that we played in summer camp in the Catskills, that daddy played with us, that my four-year-old grandson who visits me here in Nashville, he's got the little t-ball game. That's the first, maybe dinosaur is the first, but to be perfectly honest, baseball is just the heritage that's part of the hemoglobin, part of the plasma in your blood. And it's the American heritage. I always say, and my big deal is to rejuvenate the Western. I want the Western to come back and let the kids know what we grew up on when 35 Westerns operated over primetime TV in the 60s. And all that American heritage and the heroes, kids don't have today. And why do you think the Western has faded? 1920 to 1967, one of every three movies out of Hollywood was the Western. It's an entirely overexposed genre. And I've been developing stuff all the time. And I'm trying to find twists that we haven't seen before. 
And when you make movies from 1920 to 1967, that's 33% of the Hollywood production line is about a Western. It's really hard to get new. It's really hard to be super creative. But the American heritage of cinema was the Western. In 1906, um, uh, Edison, right after he invented the camera, made a movie called, a six-minute picture called The Great Train Robbery. Yep. Why was the Western so popular? Because when silent movies came up, those people that they were, the towns of shooting, they were shooting up Tombstone and Dodge City and all that, the people were still alive who lived in those cities. They were still alive in 1905, 1910, 1915. And they'd go to silent screen houses where the guy would play the organ, but they were looking at the town that they grew up in. And it was on a big screen and it was the mystique of the movies in their backyard. Hmm. That's why. And it was the first genre that just developed more and more volume of the same product, you know? And one of the coolest things that a lot of people who live here in LA don't even realize is, you know, the Gower Gulch and all those cowboys that moved to Los Angeles to get acting work. Because if you weren't a cowboy, you didn't know how to ride a horse. You couldn't do a stagecoach scene. They had to get real cowboys. Oh, yeah. And, and that drugs, there was a drugstore in that um, Gower Gold shopping center because I, I did a lot of research because I, I started to do a documentary about it many years ago. And the term drugstore cowboy comes from the fact that these cowboys used to hang out in the drugstore because it had a pay phone. No one had a phone. Hmm. So all of the, the uh, casting people would call the drugstore and, and ask, are there any cowboys there? We need somebody for this part or that part. It's very cool. Well, back in those days, they made those Westerns, those horse operas in four days up in Simi Valley. So, you know, I mean, I got into it. I guess I was living in Crown Heights. And I remember my mother telling me the story. That all those movies were just one horse galloping after another across the screen. Those Ken Maynard movies that would be in, you know, the... Johnny Mac Brown, all those stuff from the 30s that became on TV in the 50s. You know, I would, my mother would say, I would go around the back of the TV because I'd see where the horse would gallop right to left. And I wondered where he went. I would go around the back of the TV to see where the horse went. <laughs> and she'd tell me that story all the time. But, you know, those were the days when they made those movies really cheap, four day pictures. They didn't make much sense, but they were. Very, very popular. So you've got a podcast now. I'm yeah. excited about this. It's called, do I have it right? It's Kicking It With The Coves? You got it. Kicking um, With The Coves. We've got, a, we've got a little promo here that I want to play. Oh, you do? Oh, great, great. I'm Martin Cove, Sensei John Kreese from the Cobra Kai TV series and the Karate Kid trilogy. And I'm hosting a new podcast, Kicking It With The Coves, with my own kids, Rachel and Jesse Cove very excited to have you all here we're going to be talking about life our family we're going to have some amazing guests on this show and we're also just going to let you in on our lives a little bit the cove family and i am rachel cove i've been working in the field of mental health for 12 years i'm obsessed with mental health i'm obsessed with psychology and i cannot wait to help you overcome your struggles and challenges and to help you accomplish all of your goals so you can feel happy and fulfilled in your life so listen to and follow kicking it with the coves on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podcast One. Do you have a problem with No sensei. No, Dad. No, no, Dad. So tell me about the show. 
Well, you know, it was created by, you know, my daughter who really, she's done a lot of different podcasts and she's a life coach and mental health expert and knows about bullying and does a lot of, a lot of work about all kinds of emotional growth work. And my son is an actor who's, he, he, honestly, he's doing Wyatt Earp in a prequel to Tombstone. Oh, wow. Called Dodge City. Yeah, it's yeah. really cool. It's when Doc Holliday meets Wyatt Earp before they go to Tombstone, when they become friends. It's great, it's great script, you know, written by the guy who co-wrote Tombstone. Nice. So, but Jesse's an actor and he's just terrific. And, you know, he's one of these really handsome boys that's got such a soul. So we said, they came to us and said, why don't you do this? And I said, okay, we'll analyze some of Cobra Kai episodes. We'll talk about bullying. We'll talk about the music. We'll talk about Ennio Morricone and the Italian Westerns. Mm. We'll talk about all the cool stuff. So we've done four episodes and it's brilliant. And um, they're coming here in a few days and we're going to do some more. And it's so much fun because as I've gotten older, to be perfectly honest, I find my friends my age bored. I just find <laughs> that all the guys I ran with, the crazies that we had, we used to go to the hole in the wall where Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid used to hide out. And we used to ride there five days in full Western regalia. And, and it was great. But slowly, a lot of these guys are dying off. You know, even the wranglers and the ranchers from Colorado and Wyoming. So things are changing in my life. So I kind of love hanging with my kids who are 31 more than anything else. Hmm. And it's such a good time because we're all movie kids. You know, we're all children at heart. And <clears throat> it's wonderful to just watch movies he's making. He loves the West. Um, my daughter is such a, you know, she loves to sing. And hmm. it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's, it's just a perfect situation. And they're intelligent. And there's no egos. And, it, you know, I have a four-year-old grandson who just, he's, he's wonderful. And she brings him and sometimes she doesn't. And I've got 11 acres. And, you know, I'm just, things are good. You know, yeah. and I, I want to I rejuvenate the genre. That's what I really want to do is the dream. Yeah. And I think kids need to see that because kids don't have a hero today. They don't have a hero, you know, unless you're wrapped up in fantasy, like a lot of actors are. Yep. Unless you have that to look back and look at Red River and the Wild Bunch and, you know, Good, the Bad and the Ugly. You look back at your heroes. You have that. That's great. But if you don't have that, you need what the kids don't have today is someone to really look up to. Well, listen, I cannot wait to hear the pod. I actually get to be a guest on the podcast. I'm excited about that. You are. You're gonna be. A, you're gonna be a worthy guest. Um, and uh, you can get the podcast on Apple and Spotify. It's a. Po it's from Podcast One, right? Yeah, and you can subscribe. Subscribe and then write a review because we love to hear everybody's feedback. And um, you know, I was there today, and we we did a couple of things, and it's really a lot of fun. You know, I I, I think of the old radio shows. You know, when I was a little kid and. My, my parents would listen to The Shadow or they yeah. listened to, you know, two or three others that I've forgotten. And um, it was so creative to do that. Even though we're not doing sound effects, I think radio is really, really quite versatile yeah. and a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been a great way to make a living for me. I'll, I'll tell you that much. Um, and I want to let everybody know Cobra Kai. 
Uh, first four seasons out on Netflix and season five is in the can, but we don't know anything yet. Nothing yet. <laughs> hey, uh, listen, we really appreciate you uh, you coming on, Marty. Thank you so much. Uh, it was a pleasure, man. Take care of yourself. Yeah, Thanks, you too. Marty. Thank you, Doug. Good to see you. You too. That was great. You know, it's always interesting when you interview somebody who, you know, plays this, you know, nor- notorious bad guy, yes. you know, and they end up being like a really, really sweet, sweet person. Yep. And I always want I didn't get to ask him this, but, you know, years ago on one of those Richard Karn celebrity things, you know, yep. was, I think it was a ski event. I ended up sitting at a uh, breakfast table with Sylvester Stallone. I just oh, ended really? up sitting with him. And it, somebody had approached him by the chairlift and wanted to fight him, you know, like like thinking he was Rocky or Rambo, you know. And he looked, and the guy like came up to his face, and he looked at him and he said, "I'm not Rambo. I'm not Rocky. Leave me alone. I don't want to fight you. You know, it's not real." But he said that people would just come over to him and try to provoke him to have a fight. And I wondered with with Martin, because his character is just so unlikable, you know, and and it's martial arts. You know, I always wonder if somebody ever came up to him to try to, you know, get a a fight going. I would put money on Marty. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) I would put put money on Marty. I think he could uh, take on just about anybody. What a great (laughs) storyteller. I got to I got to bone up on Westerns going on this show, huh? Uh -huh, Unforgiven was the first one that popped into my head. Uh, which I which I love. It's the Eastwood one, right? Um, because it's he is looking back, right? He's he's mm-hmm. looking back and his and he's got it's it's kind of about regret more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And I love that because it's also Eastwood looking back at his own career. It's really self reflective that way. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Tombstone. Val Kilmer oh. is so good as oh, Doc man. Holliday. Unbelievable Brilliant. as Doc Holliday. Uh, so yeah, I got, I got a, what, what, what was kind of, what popped into your head on Westerns? Oh, um, the, the movie we just talked about with uh, Doc Holliday. Oh yeah. Tombstone. 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 But you know, like when I was a kid, my parents took me to see how the West was won. Oh yeah. That was the first Western that I ever saw in an actual movie theater. Yep. But growing up, I mean, Bonanza, you know, I mean, that was. A must every week. We watched Bonanza and Big Valley with Barbara yeah. Stanwyck. Um, but I always loved West, and I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I was a tomboy. So you know, I had cowboy boots, and you know, I had like I had a holster with guns, and I had a cowboy hat. Seriously? And, <laughs> oh God! Did you wear I spurs? was like full on. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> I was full on. Um, Trying to picture that. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's I was, funny. I was a tomboy. So. <laughs> that's funny. Um, hey, listen to everybody. Uh, the one way we get to do this show every single time is because of our friend Jacob Imrani. So there's a lot of good sports right now. Jacob is like a huge sports guy, official sponsor of the Los Angeles Lakers, of LAFC. And I tell you that only because he's a regular guy. And if you are involved in any kind of accident, any kind of injury, you will get personal attention from a regular guy who understands your problem, somebody who's been doing this for 25 years, any kind of accident, any kind of injury, whether it's you or your kid or your wife or somebody at work, you want a pro. 
The insurance companies are big and bad, and Jacob will stand up for you. He's always helping the little guy, and he will get you the justice that you deserve. So remember the number. 